Well, you know, to piggyback off of what Steven said, uh, what's really nice about uh, digital portfolios is that they allow students to represent their work through multiple modalities. I, I think that's really uh, convenient and representative of the, the times we live in. Now, going off of that, though, how much is too much information when building a portfolio? TMI. <laughs> I think I would turn the question around a little bit. And, and for me, it's more about quality. And by that, I mean, everybody has some quality piece of work that they want to show off. Pick those that are most important and most meaningful. But the key, I think, is organization. Making it something that an independent observer can come and understand what you're about is most important. You're listening to Instruction by Design, your podcast to the art of teaching. According to the Association of Authentic, Experiential, and Evidence-Based Learning, e-portfolios, or as we refer to them here at ASU, digital portfolios have been around since the late 1990s. There have been many attempts at capturing a true, all-encompassing definition of a digital portfolio, but because of its flexibility, diversity, and evolving use, there has not been a complete, one-size-fits-all definition. For the sake of this podcast, we'll go with the broad meaning of the portfolio as being a digital repository of student learning. Now, with that being said, what should a portfolio look like? This is where the water gets murky and the definition begins to grow. I'll start with, it all depends on the objective. Much like anything else in learning, what is it you want the portfolio to be? Once you can answer that, then you can begin to answer all the other questions, like how will students use it? What will be added to it? How often will you refer to the portfolio along the learning process? Who will be responsible for the organizing of the material? Before the days of electronic portfolios, what usually popped into the mind when the word was mentioned was a large, flat, folder-like bag that held the best works of a visual artist, or something only financiers talked about. As the digital portfolio has grown in education, the three major uses have been to document learning, assess student or personal growth, and showcase artifacts. These uses all focus on providing a platform for students to reflect, synthesize, and express their journeys in the educational process, while also allowing them a method of sharing their experience with potential employers. Specifically within the College of Nursing and Health Innovation, we have four programs implementing the tool in three different ways. For program accreditation purposes, to showcase student growth through an entire program, and to showcase experience for potential employers. Here is where I would like to emphasize that digital portfolios are student-owned. They are the sole creators, the manipulators, and the organizers. It becomes a true representation and documentation of oneself, and with it can come some vulnerability on the student's end and the instructor's end. The instructor has to decide how much structure should they give the student and provide for the student to engage, explore, and discover. The student has to decide how much do they want to openly share and display to the world. The Association of American Colleges and Universities, along with the Association of Authentic Experiential and Evidence-Based Learning, the International Journal of ePortfolio and Electronic Portfolio Action and Communication Community of Practice, have collaborated to create a field guide to ePortfolios, which has combined 12 great chapters to help understand ePortfolios and their place in learning. In one specific chapter titled, Promoting Student Cognitive Development, Integrative Learning, Reflection and Metacognition, the authors provide an in-depth explanation of how, when used purposefully, 
ePortfolios can significantly transform students' cognitive and metacognitive processes by encouraging and prioritizing integration, planning, and reflection. By engaging in the reflective work of their ePortfolios, students become metacognitively aware of their unique ways of knowing and the processes of integration that led them there. This finding of what portfolios can become deepens the experience of working with a portfolio as just being another piece of implemented technology, but a prime example of a tool being used for learning's sake, if implemented with a clear focus. Defining what a digital portfolio is, is more than just some words. It's what you want your students to discover and how much of the impact of that discovery you want displayed. Welcome to this episode of Instruction by Design, your podcast to the art of teaching. My name is Celia Kuchwaitiwa from Arizona State University's College of Nursing and Health Innovations Academic Innovation Team. Joining me today are Aaron Kraft, Stephen Crawford, Jeanette Senecal. All right. Well, let me start with asking you all, have you ever had to create a portfolio of any kind? Well, either academically or professionally? Yes, I, I did for my master's program. Uh, before I could graduate, I had to put together a portfolio, a digital portfolio of all my work throughout the program and send that to my advisors or to my advisor plus a panel of two other people who would judge it and let me know if I could graduate or not. Yeah, I similarly um, in my graduate program was uh, required to build a portfolio throughout all the courses. But, you know, coming back to your definition about it being student owned and for student learning, this really doesn't meet the definition because it was for them and for their accreditation purposes. And further, they really didn't even explain that. It was not it was not something that we could make publicly available and share with outside employers for potential interviews. And they really didn't even explain until the capstone that it was for accreditation purposes. So it left the learner in a little bit of a blind spot. I did not have to do any portfolios either as a student or professionally. My first encounter with a portfolio really was as a research tool. I remember working with some faculty who had collected all the work of a first grader and you could and was using it to show the progression of that individual learning to write and how that had changed during the course of the year and how that writing had gone from you know from one end of the spectrum towards the other. So, you know, my experiences really haven't been as effective from that standpoint, because it's been all as a research tool, it's been more less about the person, more about, you know, sh well, showing how changes occurred. I remember in my post back days, I had to build a portfolio as part of an educational technology course. And it was expected throughout other courses, but it didn't seem to be completely integrated across the entire program. And I remember being one of the only ones who was excited to use it, um, probably because I just love educational technology in general, and being excited about being able to share it with potential employers. But being that this was late 90s, early 2000s, it really wasn't um, anything that had made an impact everywhere, especially not with potential employers at that point. Um, but as I go through research now, it seems that the tool has come back. It's making a presence in potential employer interviews. In that being said, with uh, what Jeanette was talking about in that she didn't um, know everything 
right away. What do you see as the instructor's role in creating the portfolio? I think there's an excellent opportunity for them to provide context. It's not so much about them really doing anything in the portfolio as it is setting the stage for the students to understand why a portfolio is meaningful, helping them to... um, you know, understand the role it can play in not only their academic career, but going forward into looking for a professional placement somewhere. You know, I've been using digital portfolios to some degree for almost 10 years now. It's a real hard balance is what I'm going to start with, is that how do you balance the student's ability to be creative while at the same time that instructor providing the the structure that's required to meet their needs as well? This is something I, th- I like you were talking about, Jeanette, you know, it's it's really interesting that a lot of times this is done for accreditation purposes, uh, especially in the education field, especially in the healthcare fields. And you end up with a situation where the student feels less control because they have to meet certain objectives. But at the same time, without that control, there's no creativity. It's yet just another assignment or ends up becoming just a simple repository where it's, oh yeah, now that I've submitted it to Blackboard, I now have to resubmit this a second time to another tool and hope I remember to do that or, you know, for my capstone. So it's a really interesting question from that standpoint is how do you do that balance? And that's something that has always been a hard conversation to have. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but it it sounds like my context might be a little bit different. It sounds like uh, you guys are talking about having to do a portfolio within a class with a single instructor guiding you through the process. Is that or program? Not okay. necessarily. Because yeah, that was my experience. Was it was across the program. So in that context, I would say that the instructor's responsibility was for us to have a learning artifact, a digital learning artifact, to be able, you know, by the end of the course, to be able to put into our digital portfolio, right, to demonstrate our mastery of the the objective of that course. Mm-hmm. So uh, coming back to the accreditation purposes, I do find that a lot of times they're very structured in a way that doesn't allow creativity, a lot of creativity. But I have seen some successful uses of the digital portfolio for accreditation purposes that allow some room for the students to add something extra. And I think that's where it comes back to being the student representation of their learning and allows them to see more ownership because there can be the issue of too much structure. You can only do this with it. But then once you give a little bit of space for that student to be able to show who they are and manipulate it in a way that shows who they are, then that that's when it becomes more effective. I definitely found a way to make my portfolio my own. I actually went ahead and bought a domain name and then uh, bought some server space, and I built a website, basically, that became my portfolio. So I customized it however I wanted to, whereas I know a lot of people, they don't care to learn that, and that's cool. They went with something like Wix, Mm -hmm. or I think Google has a platform for portfolios now, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And then, of course, at ASU, we have the, uh, is it e-digication? Just education. Education, okay, education. Sorry, Chris. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, yeah, so I figured that was my signature on it, if you will. That was my way of uh, making it my own. So you bring up a good point. There are specific tools out there that are just for portfolios, but then we're now at an age where we can manipulate websites to become our portfolios. What would you say would be the difference in that? Or why wouldn't we all just create a website? Well, so... (laughs) 
I, I was learning web design and I thought this would be a brilliant way to sort of cap off that learning is, is to create something that I can demonstrate to people. So I'm, I'm you know, it was sort of meta, right? I'm creating something that shows off my creations right, throughout the, uh, the program. You go back 20 years. I think that's exactly what everybody thought was going to happen. I think if you look back when the reason why digital portfolios rose to the forefront was because this brand new thing called the World Wide Web. And suddenly people realized, hey, this is easy. I can make websites, you know, and then and then the software came out, front page and, and everything else. And you had GeoCities. And I think everybody- GeoCities, yeah, yes, yes. Go, you know, go way back machine right there. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where people saw Google Sites for so long Google was being, Sites. this is going to mm -hmm. be the tool that's going to change the world because now you don't need to know HTML. But I remember in Virginia, one of the standards of learning for eighth graders was to learn how to build a website. So the idea was that every high school graduate starting in 2000, was going to know how to build a website. So ideally, by that line of thought, here we are, you know, today, you know, almost 20 years later, and we just assume everybody today would know how to build a website because it'd be no big deal. That ended up not being the case. And I think that's where a lot of the creative types, and, I, and you look at people in the, in, the, in the arts, you know, with music, with video, with photography, with uh, anything graphical, or of an audio visual nature, you saw that they really, that's where you see a lot of digital portfolios online that they build themselves. It's the other fields that I think it's been a little bit more difficult. How do you do that with education? I know when I've applied for jobs in the past, they wanna see examples of modules you've built and created and written, you know, but how does that work in the K-12 classroom when you're applying for a job? How does that work in the healthcare field? How do you show, what do you put in those digital portfolios? I think that's a little question that some of the industries haven't answered yet. Yeah, well, and I think I would add to that that from an institutional perspective, the thing that the purpose-built tools are selling is integration, and that's a big word. They're systems that can connect to other systems like learning management systems, and it gives them the ability to do things like, you know, assessments. Portfolios can actually feed into other assessment systems, grade books. So how important would you say is, the, is it that the instructors be able to create their own portfolio first before attempting to implement? them in their courses? As a former teacher myself, I was always um, under the belief that I should demonstrate or model what I wanted my students to be able to do. However, that being said, nobody modeled their portfolio to me. None of my instructors showed me their portfolio. So I suppose it could go either way, really, uh, on that particular one. I, I think I'd be making a mistake to not quote our senior director quoting others saying, you know, see one, do one, teach one. And, and I think there is something to be said that if a faculty member works with a tool, whether it's di a digital portfolio or any other tool for that matter, once they know how that tool works and what its power is, it's easier to teach it. And I think that's where if you think about a field, you know, and I named a couple and throw in the sciences and engineering while you're at it. I think as faculty start using them for their own purposes, because right now the CV seems to work, the resume seems to work, but it doesn't demonstrate what you're able to do. It just says you, you worked at certain places. Yeah, modeling is important. I feel like once the faculty or the instructors start to play around with the 
the tool as I'm working with faculty, I think they then start to realize the potential that it has. When when I get faculty who come in and ask about portfolios and want to start it, and they haven't really touched it themselves yet, once I get them in there and they see what sort of things they can do or how they can manipulate it, then I think that that starts to open up new possibilities for them. And it's a really neat thing to see because not only will that help them to see what they can do with their students, but it'll help their students to also see the impact as well. Well, you know, to piggyback off of what Steven said, uh, what's really nice about uh, digital portfolios is that they allow students to represent their work through multiple modalities, right? It's with the classic, uh, you know, the, the visual artist with his big folder, you know, you, you couldn't, you, you, it had to be uh, a tangible item, but now if you create a video or it could just be a PDF of, of, of an essay you wrote or whatever, but you can display that now. I think that's really uh, convenient and representative of the, the times we live in. Now, going off of that, though, how much is too much information when building a portfolio? TMI. <laughs> I think I would turn the question around a little bit. And, and for me, it's more about quality. And by that, I mean, everybody has some quality piece of work that they want to show off. Pick those that are most important and most meaningful. But the key, I think, is organization. Making making it something that an independent observer can come and understand what you're about is most important. You know, if you're a university administrator and you're building a portfolio and one of your decisions is, I'm going to put every single presentation slide deck I've ever given in my digital portfolio, I'm going to agree with Jeanette, that's a lot. And you need to pick the ones that stand out for various reasons. Either it's a, a topic that you only gave once or it's the best version of a topic you gave, or maybe it's at a prestigious location. But, you know, one of those things, you know, you need to be selective. It, it It's not, oh, here's everything I've ever done in my entire life. This is a curated collection of who I am. So one of the things that I talked to um, one of the programs about is because it's a program-wide portfolio and the students have to add to it throughout the program and the courses that they're taking, we built in with within the last course that they have to do a module that allows the students to go back into their portfolio and clean it up. So then they're able to be more selective, take some of their work that they've done over the course of the program and start to make decisions. What would I need to show? What can I show, but what also needs to maybe be a little more clean and direct with what the objective is for their portfolio. And I think that's a strong strategy to use, especially if you are going through a program-wide model for, for integrating a portfolio. Well, you're tying in the pedagogical element a little bit there. You know, the student has to reflect on what they've done collect everything they've done, curate the most essential aspects that demonstrates their mastery or, or you know, best works. And then that gives them an opportunity to reflect and synthesize longitudinally yes. on that and then hopefully transfer that. That's when the learning starts being transferred from the context in which it was created out, you know, to a more broader context. And you know, that's a demonstration of learning. Yes, but you very know, much so. I'm still thinking about what Jeanette was saying earlier about her experience and the accreditation requirement. You know, is it appropriate for a digital portfolio programmatic requirement to have objectives that evolve as the student pr uh, proceeds through the program? One that shows some of their basic learning and then it starts to evolve and starts to become curated, becomes that accreditation artifact because the target audience is, in this case, often faculty 
of the program as well as the accreditation bodies, essentially. And then you hit that capstone point and now it evolves again where the audience now becomes future employers. You know, I, I could see the digital portfolio evolving and not just the, because the requirements have evolved and the objectives has changed. It just, it's just, it's, that's the question I think I have often is, is who, you know, I always think of who's the audience, who am I doing this for? And, and employers and faculty are two different audiences with two different requirement sets. Yes, that is true. I think when it comes to the accreditation process, I think that can be a twofold. Maybe it's not going towards the potential employer, but I think it's a great tool for programs to be able to assess their effectiveness. So it might not be evolving into the employer piece of it because they do have to have to keep that portfolio for the program. But um, they could always make copies of it to then evolve into an employer portfolio. But for a program, I think it is great to have those uh, the accreditation part of it because then the program can assess how effective they are. Especially if that digital portfolio ends up becoming part of your academic assessment plan that every year the programs have to submit to the university for accreditation purposes. Well, I was lucky because the two aligned. You know, I took, I, my program was more or less instructional design. My portfolio was uh, demonstrating what I had done within that context. And then I was applying for jobs, you know, to be an instructional designer within higher education. So it, it, that I was lucky in that case. But uh, there, there can be a strong distinction between, um, I suppose, what would be like a learning portfolio that shows the growth over time compared to the professional portfolio that includes just the demonstrated mastery. That's that's a great point. The learning mm -hmm. version versus the professional version. Because I also I was thinking about you know that going back to my original example with the first grader, the whole which a first grader wouldn't have the reflective capability <laughs> yet, but a college student or college graduate would be mm -hmm. able to reflect and go, oh my goodness, look how my learning has changed over this two to four year period, depending on what program they're in. I could see that you know that's something that I think it's a an interesting reflective ability that we don't use well enough. It happened to me. I was surprised to look back at what I did two years yeah, prior compared growth. to where I was at the, at the end. Mm -hmm. Well, perhaps it's also about a mindset. It's perhaps helping learners to develop skills to think about why a portfolio could be important, even if they end up going a different direction with that. And that's sort of my next question to pitch out here to you is what about your LinkedIn profile as portfolio when you're talking about your own, you know, professional activities. That's true. Some will say that LinkedIn is all the portfolio that you need, but how much does LinkedIn show what you've actually done? I mean, it's like a, it's more like a resume website than an actual portfolio that allows the work to be shown sometimes. I, I was thinking the exact same thing. If I had a continuum with a resume at one end and a digital portfolio on the other, it's like, where in the middle does LinkedIn follow? It, it does fall somewhere in the middle, but I'm not sure if it leans more towards resume, but it, it, that evolves so much. Yeah, it's a fair point. Um, and as their tool set has evolved, they do facilitate the ability to build more portfolio-like objects now than they used to. You can certainly you know, put links and attachments and things mm -hmm. like that. But generally speaking, I think the perception is it's mostly a digital version of a resume. It just, it's in how you use it. Yeah. Uh, LinkedIn to me is like a sneak preview. Like, mm -hmm. you know, if you want to see the full movie, you got to give me a call. <laughs> <laughs> so that also leads into it. Something that usually happens anytime a new tool is implemented. How can you ensure that the portfolio is implemented for content-based learning 
versus technology learning. So you always have to get over that hump of learning the technology in order to make the objective happen, the actual objective happen. So how do you how do you ensure that? Start early and uh, small steps because you don't want to push it off to the end just to realize that you still have to figure out the technology aspect before you even start uploading all your digital assets. You know, I I go back and I think about, you know, 20 years ago, we thought that every high school graduate would graduate knowing how to build a web page. And I think we could look at our students today and go, yeah, that didn't happen. And I think there's always going to be a teaching of a technology aspect to it, whether we like it or not. And if they're implemented programmatically, I think early scaffolding can go a long way. You know, if they have an orientation, bring them in and spend a little bit of time and, and remind them that the reason they're getting this orientation early is so that they don't have to worry about the technology at the point in which they're ready to attach their artifacts. I am definitely um, a fan of the program-wide implementation because of that, um, because there is that scaffolding that can happen and you get started early, have some smaller pieces in the beginning of the program, and then it starts to build. So what significance do you see the portfolios having beyond the classroom, even maybe outside of the professional environment? Well, I know when I had to uh, start looking for jobs, as I was nearing the end of my program. Uh, I basically carpet bombed the entire ID industry across the United States uh, with my resumes. But it, I had interviews and in or I, I was based in uh, New Mexico at the time, but I had interviews in Oregon and a day later, one in Arizona and a day later, one in, in Michigan. And I, you know, it was nice to be able to sit there on Skype and say, let me direct you to my digital portfolio. And then uh, they could go through it with me or on their own. And I, I felt like that was a big boon for me. As someone who's hired creative types and instructional designers, um, I will tell you having that digital portfolio to look through is very useful to go, what kind of projects have they been involved in? What kind of work have they done? And it allows for opportunities and questions during the interview process. I don't think it's as important today as it should be. And I think if the trend continues... In about 10 to 15 years, it really will become very much more important for, for all industries or a good many of them, I should say, because I can tell you, it, it really has created conversation points like, OK, this is a person who, you know, you see that they've done something on a project and, and often as a hiring manager, I'm like, did they do this by themselves? Did they do everything? Which parts of this did they do? And it allows for a good conversation to occur and uh, especially on large, complex projects. I, I think students get tunnel vision. It's finishing the next project. It's getting a grade in a class. It's graduating. Anything that gives them an opportunity to be a little bit more reflective and a little bit more holistic in thinking about their learning will benefit anybody in the long run. What do you see as the major setbacks that make it difficult to implement or makes it harder for um, instructors to want to fully implement portfolios. I'm going to start with program buy-in. You mentioned that it works better at the program level, and I agree. The problem is it only takes one person to end a programmatic program. I, you know, I've seen digital portfolios get implemented. I've seen the buy-in, but if one person is teaching a course and they don't get it and they skip it in their course, it creates a hole that's hard to fill. And, and after that, students check out. So you have to have complete total buy-in from the entire program. That's a good one. I'm going to piggyback on that and say lack of effective institutional resources mm. and support. 
Oh, geez. I don't know. I, I often don't have the worldview or the, the big picture view. Um, so I'm, I look at it more narrowly, perhaps a little more cardinal. But I, th I suppose I would say just the, the adoption of the technology aspect. Uh, you know, you are a support here for Khan High's uh, education mm -hmm. you know, uh, program or you know, adoption of it. And how often do you have to go and help and troubleshoot technology issues or integrating into the LMS? I mean, it's, it seems like it's fairly often, right? Yes, it can be. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that's probably quite intimidating for instructors who just are like, why am I having to bother with this? Or students who are like, I'm too busy to have to worry about these uh, little issues. Um, personally, I don't mind, but I'm a, I'm a tech geek, so. <laughs> you know, you think about digital portfolios. How many of us here have added some of our favorite episodes that we've recorded here to our digital portfolio? Raise your hand. And I'll let the listener figure out how many hands got raised. Ha ha. Hmm. <laughs> uh, to be fair, I haven't updated my portfolio in like two years. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so now we know there's one who didn't do it. <laughs> yeah, definitely me. Yeah. To be fair, it's just a general hyperlink on my LinkedIn profile. Oh, so you're going back to the LinkedIn being the Indeed. portfolio. LinkedIn for you is the portfolio. So, yeah. Yeah. But, uh, but I'm talking about a curated. We, we mm -hmm. talked about that curated, yeah. you know, too much information. I mean, that's that's something that I think we as instructional designers, you know, who are trying to get faculty, that's a great way to show how this can be done and how it can be curated. And again, if we can get faculty to do the same thing, I think it gets easier to get the student buy-in. We'll get back to you next time we're applying for a new job. No, you cannot. No. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Context. He's our boss. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, as you move through your spring courses and into the summer, think about whether utilizing a portfolio in your course or program might be beneficial to your overall goals for students and envision its possibilities. I'd like to thank the ever so wonderful Stephen, Jeanette, Aaron, and by no means last, the man who can smooth the rough tones like no other, our producer, Ricardo Leon. Like no other. That's going in my portfolio. <laughs> you can reach us on Twitter at IBD underscore podcast. That is IBD as an in instruction by design underscore podcast. Or you can email us at instructionbydesign at asu.edu. To find previous episodes, please visit our website at links.asu.edu slash IBD underscore podcast. This podcast was produced by Arizona State University's College of Nursing and Health Innovation. <laughs> nice. I wish I had the... Uh, did you go the, last night? The blade for it. No, I go tomorrow. I was going to say, yeah, it's oh, missing an essential component there. Yeah, because you have to, there's a, take an Allen wrench, pop the screw out, and there's a blade. And it's actually strong enough that you can actually duel with it. But this is the belt clip mode where that you can wear like your belt and not like, you know, stack Got yourself. some weight to it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. I think it's a speaker right there. Yeah. And off. That could have hurt. <laughs> See, that should be used as the uh, lightning round. Like segue between questions. Yes. First question. Yes. Second question. <laughs> yes. That's awesome. Absolutely. Excellent idea. Yeah, all right. Make a note. Lightning round day. <laughs> Lightning. Yeah. Which we haven't added that into the spring. 
And there was a TBD, yeah. so I think maybe we yeah. should just do a lightning round. Well, and I was kind of unclear on the whole. We haven't th- thought about the hot topics, if that's going to be mm. like whatever. Oh, okay. So that might be an opportunity to do a little lightning round, too. So Cool beans. We'll see. Am I too close? Oh, you know, okay. if we do that, we should uh, make a little jingle. Hot topic. <laughs> oh, <God>. Really? <laughs> Let's not and not say we Because of Hot Pocket? Uh-huh. We no? get it. Okay. Yeah, Just we're good. Sure. No, really? Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs>